Welcome to the New Zealand International Film Festival podcast series. Today's Q&A follows the world premiere of A Seat at the Table. Directors David Nash and Simon Mark Brown are in conversation with Sam Flynn Scott. Hello everyone. Did you enjoy the film? Yes? Cheers to our wonderful filmmakers. I just have to quickly drink some wine because my entire body and being and soul is telling me that I must drink wine now after two hours of watching that. So congratulations. How does it feel to get it out? Oh, oh, um, fantastic. Yep. Especially in this place, as I said at the beginning, such a, you know, I didn't think we'd actually get to screen at the Civic, so thank you NZIFFF. As a Wellingtonian, I always like to sort of say that the Embassy is the best movie theatre in the country, but then when I'm Ever I'm here at the Civic, I'm like... Mm, I think we're playing there um, next week. Um, well, yeah, it is a great theatre, but this is pretty amazing. Um, so, David, this is your first uh, filmmaking experience. How did it feel to go through the whole process of making making a film from beginning to end? Like, did it surprise you how long it takes? I'm not sure if there's... Oh, this, it is on. That's a good start. Um, it probably sums it up very well, just not really knowing what you're doing, but just, I mean, Simon and I had done some work, uh, a lot of jobs in the past on a smaller scale. So when I sort of was thinking about this idea, it was naturally the thing to do to kind of gravitate to someone who's got a lot more experience than you, mm-hmm. which probably shows in the film from a winemaking point of view. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it did blow me away, um, the amount of time and energy that you need to put into these things to push them forward and I think um, Bertie's probably out there somewhere who did a lot of the editing on the film Um, he said to me at like year three (laughs) he's like would you do this if you didn't love it and I said no because there's just no way you could pour all your nights all your weekends all your time into something if you didn't love you know the subject and the outcome that that could happen um, speaking of pouring, how much of the budget went on wine on this film? Quite a lot. <laughs> There's no one from Is the that, Film Commission here to notice that? Yeah, you've reported that back. <laughs> Polini, Montrachet, lighting. They were all empty, unfortunately, the nice ones. We got given well, a lot of wine. We, we have a photo somewhere which we should show of us in a motel room. It's like, a, it's like a drug scene. We're lying on a bed with 130 bottles of wine on the bed and we all take turns posing on the bed. <laughs> I don't know where that photo wow. is, but it's quite amazing. And we've been given all of those wines. It the amazing thing erotic. also is that we went to... We actually took all of those wines that you see the people tasting towards the end. We actually took those as like a gift to say, oh, thanks so much for your time. Here's you know something from our part of the world. And the whole idea of getting them to taste the wine was that they'd... You, you asked them, oh, have you actually tasted any New Zealand wine? And every single one of them was like, oh, I can't really remember. So that's kind of where that idea came from. But also what was quite uh, surprising at the time is that as soon as they'd tried those wines, especially some of the Burgundy producers where their wines were, you know, hundreds of euros a bottle, as soon as we had turned off the cameras, they were like, can, can we keep these? Can, oh, right. <laughs> you can have those. We'll, we'll keep these. <laughs> they were really like they were really fascinated by the wines and quite amazed at the quality of them. Um, to be fair, though, most of the world hasn't tried their wines because they're so expensive. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's another. Thing and they are with. sort of a little bit snobby, you know. 
Yeah. They don't try the left bank if they're on the right bank. You know, it's, it's right. And, and Chateau Angelouse, her grandfather had never tried a wine not grown at Saint Angelouse. Really? Because that's just Which what they do. Which is actually quite hard do. to believe, isn't it? Well, it is the, um, you know, the locality of things in Europe can be so extreme. I remember going to a restaurant in um, the southern Italian part of Switzerland and everything was from this village we were in and then they apologised because the uh, um, ice cream they were going to serve us wasn't from the village. And I was like, where is it from? And then he pointed out the window and went, that village. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's all, you know, it, that's, it's nice to be reminded that as much as we're trying to get wine out to the world stage, that really what wine is is you, the reason it was planted here and the reason people grew it here was for New Zealanders. And I think it is a nice thing with New Zealand wine that it's not as expensive as those Burgundy wines and you can taste these incredible New Zealand wines, you know, maybe for 80, 100, $150 a bottle, but it's still an achievable thing. Whereas, you know, if you talk about the Romani Conti or whatever, $22,000 a bottle, it's, it's become a, a thing which is sort of beyond drinking almost. Um, we're also going to open this up to the floor, so if anyone's got any questions, uh, put your hand up. We've got some roving people with microphones, and you can ask whatever you like about the film and about wine, and I find I quite often bore people to death talking about wine, so it's quite nice to be able to talk about it <laughs> forever. Simon, were you as into wine as David, or were you more the filmmaking side of it? I'm an enthusiastic amateur with wine. Yep. I have what's called an immature palate. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, if you don't get what you want, you throw a tantrum? Yeah. Or? No, I know what I like, but I can't. I don't know the nuances. David knows this is from this and that sub branch of this down here. And You're much blah, better blah, blah. now, though. I've learned a hell of a lot. I like I like Pinot and Chardonnay. I knew that. And, yep. and, and that's all I needed to know, really. But I learned a lot. But I, I just one thing I'm going to say about this film is we went. We, we, Drew up some questions. We travelled around. We asked the same questions to a hundred people, and towards the end of the filming, I suddenly thought, "This could be the most boring film ever made." <laughs> I really did. I, I I had a sleepless night thinking, "What have we done?" Um, endless shots of grapes and um, people going, rah, 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 rah. but we didn't stray into the wanky. It tastes like chalk and old leather and all that stuff, which I think does put people to sleep. And then when we did the cut and we got down to the sort of baggy three-hour cut, I realised we had something good because the characters are so great. I could just look at that French woman standing there with her. <laughs> that, we've looked at that a thousand times and I, lost, yeah. I, I laughed again today, you know. <laughs> yeah. And Nigel Greening, just the, 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 the long-haired, you know, ex-creative director from London, just classic. You can't, you can't write those characters, you know. Larry, who's here, I love, Larry's our favourite. Larry, you here? Love you, Lazar. Top man. Tony, oh, we had some fantastic... We were blessed with our characters. And, I mean, to, it's, we've got fantastic winemakers and we've used one word of their hour-and-a-half interview. It's embarrassing, in a way. Mm. We had so much stuff. It's amazing how different the New Zealand winemakers are as characters to the French winemakers. The French winemakers are all very quite, they all, their shirts are very tidy. Yeah. And then <laughs> <laughs> the New Zealand winemakers are sort of wearing kind of scruffy old t-shirts and... Nigel knew we were coming to film him for this film, so he wore his 1983 America's Cup shirt with all the stains on it. I was when we arrived and looked at him, we just went, you going to wear that? He went, yep, go. Okay. 
I was very, very pleased with, the, with that shirt choice. I thought it was a wonderful, iconographic. Um, so, because I was going to ask you about that, actually. Like, it's a, it's a real advertisement for New Zealand and for New Zealand wine, but it has a story in there and it, um, you know, has a journey. But was it hard to not just be tempted to make everything an advertisement for New Zealand, you know? It, was that a choices you had to make in the editing process to be like, this is all maybe too positive or...? Yeah, I think um, we knew we had some key stories along the way and we wanted to tell those stories and uh, you would have noticed throughout there wasn't a massive amount of kind of, you know, brands thrown in there of, you know, this is, you know, a Scarpent or this is Tony Bish or this is, uh, you know, it was really about the people and about the story and it just so happened that it all centred around wine. That's really what we wanted to get to it and um, it sounds quite crass but um we always said to each other when we were editing like you know the last thing we want this to end up is another episode of con country calendar right. uh and that was kind of our country calendar is one of the greatest Love country most calendar, though. long running shows on television i think it's the longest running show on television but um we wanted to have a story that stood above people making something that we then export to the world it had the story of these people on either sides of the world who were trying to do the same thing and was about kind of bringing those personalities together and those stories together. So it was it was tricky to... Um, both of our backgrounds are in advertising, so there was always that kind of hat that you have on, but we were really focused on the, the story and, and really if anything was going to be advertised, it was that New Zealand wine is world-class and every New Zealand wine producer would be lifted up by any profile that this might get. Uh, one underlying story which I thought was very interesting was talking about climate change and talking about biodynamics. And uh, it's a thing that, that I, a thing that I find quite um, disarming. And I don't know whether it's just because they're big stainless steel tanks and not castles, but it's when you go to Marlborough and you see how huge the wineries are there and that scale and you think, well, this can't be this can't be good for the land. You know, everyone's talking about Tūranga Waiwai and whatnot. It can't be good for the land to be making this much of one thing in one place. And I thought that, that was... You were never sort of critical of that, but it was an interesting thread going through it of, like, winemaking isn't just going to be affected by climate change. It needs to actually be part of the solution, and one of those options is to be biodynamic and, you know, reduce your footprint by 80%. Is that something that... Is there a contrast between the way that you saw the wine industry in New Zealand and in Burgundy. I'm sure there's super industrial winemaking in France, but how did it feel in Burgundy? Does it feel more hands-on? Does it feel s sort of smaller? Um, I think we're kind of going through that um, change right now where I, Mike Benny, who's the classic Australian wine writer in his cap throughout, um, and he sums it up brilliantly that we can be this leading boutique uh, specialist, and you've got producers, um, you know, like Kumu River, who, where they are quite a big brand in the marketplace, they are fairly boutique in their scale on a world stage, mm -hmm. and I think New Zealand producers are moving more towards that scale, where you can do a few things at a world-class level, rather than trying to produce, as you say, 100,000 litres of Sauvignon Blanc. Um, so I think there is a bit of a change happening right now at the moment where you've got a lot of producers wanting to extract the best they can from their site, which then they can charge more of that. They're making less of it. 
you know, which doesn't become an issue. So I think we are, we're kind of, we're just going through this little phase at the moment where, you know, Burgundy probably and Bordeaux and other areas like that, they probably went through that, you know, 200 years ago. Right. I, I have to say that the, the climate change thing wasn't part of our original 24 questions. And that came after we'd started interviewing people. We realised that that was an issue. And so that I, was something they wanted to talk about? They, yeah, they talked about it. And, and then I just found it fascinating that, like, North Canterbury is a, is a new area, you know, because of climate change. And the idea that Champagne is now going to be is buying land in England. So it's feasible in five years that Champagne comes from England and not from Champagne. And that sort of stuff starts to, when you see that map that we put on there creeping up. I mean, could Italy and Spain be too hot, and Australia could be too hot to grow wine in five years? I mean, what does that mean for New Zealand? People were joking about English sparkling wine, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Now they're talking about it as, as one of the, you know, really emerging wine regions. It's amazing. Have we got any questions out there? We've got anyone with a microphone? Has anyone put their hand up and been roped in yet? Because so, I'm running out of questions, so you guys need to help me out here. It's all going to go on a podcast, so oh, look, here we go. So uh, there's no pressure, it's just going to be online forever and ever, and whatever you say will be recorded Not and Jasper. put on the internet. No, no one here. ever gets upset about anything. So Sorry, Jazz, you were in the film. Yes, speaking of stories, you suggested in the film there's a story behind what uh, French customs reacted when you came through with 75 bottles of wine. Would you care to elaborate on that story, please? Oh, good question. Well... Air New Zealand arranged that for us, which was lovely of them, but they just needed to write on the box for promotional use only. So when it arrived in Paris, they just saw 75 bottles of wine and they just would not release it. And we were off on the road and we had to do this dodgy deal with this guy who we paid 1,600 euros cash to drive to the bond store, break the wine out of the bond store and drive it across France and meet us at our motel at seven o'clock at night and pay pay him in cash 400 kilometers away so we didn't get it till the third day which is why the sh we don't have any of the champagne guys tasting the champagne or the Sancerre people tasting our Sauvignon because we didn't get it until the fourth day so yeah that was an expensive mistake um, but I blame Dave but it was a very French thing to happen, and there was a few of those things that did happen along the way where there is only one or two people in Paris who are allowed to bring in international wine samples from around the world, and we didn't know that. Um, and this guy was on holiday, so we had to pay him extra fees, and he had to drive from Paris to Sancerre, meet us there. He had to hand over the wine, sign for it. We had to pay him in cash, so we were running around. And it ruined our day because we were shooting beautiful stuff at sunset and had to rush back to our poxy motel to meet him to get, get the, the wire. So it was, yeah, it was funny. It's funny now. Hilarious. Good question, though. I mean, that would have got you half a bottle of a delicious burgundy. I mean, um, any other questions out there? What's, what's your plan for distribution, this being such an international story and... Uh, yeah, the bigger claim of New Zealand having a seat at the table. What's your plan? Is it going on Netflixy or Hulu or Amazon or anything? Nice question, Jasper. <laughs> we're going to take it to Vancouver Film Festival in about six weeks' time, and there we're going to be inundated with international buyers. We're going to be beating them off with a stick. Aren't we, Dave? 
that's what we, that's our plan. That's about as that's that's about as far as we've got through. People seem to like movies about film and wine at, at the moment, so I think you'll be all right. Yeah. If there's lots of beautiful shots, crane, you know, uh, drone shots and everything, you'll be fine. Um, got another one back there. The aerial photography of New Zealand scenes was exquisite, and I think that was an advertisement for New Zealand just as much as the wine. Can you tell us about the aerial photography? Uh, well, the, you could probably hand the... Um, Jasper, come over here. Yeah, hand the microphone back to Jasper. This young man here. <coughs> um, oh, he was a plant. A sales Christian, he says. Yeah. Well, funnily enough... No, it's fine, Jasper, sit down. Um, well, funnily enough, we actually went right the way around New Zealand with our drone on the wrong settings. Um, so we had to go back, which was quite good fun. Um, but it really was an element that wasn't in filmmaking five years ago where you could buy a drone and you could put that up in the air and get this amazing footage. And actually, another classic story when we went into France, um, very French approach, is that uh, we landed um, at the airport, went through customs. Um, obviously, there was batteries and a drone in one of the bags. They thought this was quite a foreign flying object. Right. So they sent that bag back to New Zealand. So we landed in France ahead of our first day filming. We went to every, you know, JB Hi-Fi. They don't have JB Hi-Fi in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> we they need JB Hi-Fi in uh, Paris. JB Hi-Fi, no. Yeah. <laughs> we travelled around every hardware store, everything we could to try and find a drone that we could take with us. And uh, I was, Bertie's here somewhere. He was on the, you know, Parisian version. There he is back there. Parisian version of Trade Me, debating with people, <laughs> you know. That is a ridiculous <laughs> price. Um, try it because we, we had no money. And um, we eventually ended up just putting one. We bought a $600 drone that did all that French stuff, which is actually hard to believe. Is Tom Mears here? He's the colour grader. He kind of saved it, really, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, the drone footage, whilst amazing, there was a huge amount of pain that went into doing that, but it was all well worthwhile. That It does... It sets the scene beautifully and shows that scale of, of the country. There is a big difference in the light that you guys got from France to New Zealand, but you had to exaggerate that in the film grade to, oh, to make it meet we what just it went a bit warmer with France than New Zealand. You know, New Zealand's got that cold blue light and France, France just has that, copper. that warmer light. And we just wanted you to know from a storytelling point of view when you were in New Zealand and when you were in France. So music and the colour were the two things that could do that. But as the camera guys will tell you, there's something about the UV they reckon does kind of change things a little bit. So, interesting mm. camera, wine story. Speaking of the music, Greg Johnson, you know, great New Zealand musician, he must have had an incredibly hard job because there is music the whole time, basically. I guess because it's all uh, interviews, I guess you wanted to keep the energy up. So, uh, how, did, how did that collaboration go down? Because it I've must have been giant. I've done another film with him, so... I've worked with him before and he's, he's just amazing. So we just worked out, we sort of needed a Kiwi theme and a French theme. We need drama, you know, when their Frenchies are tasting it for the first time and joyous exultation when they quite like it. So there's about, <laughs> you know, there's like six themes or something that repeat. 
and bits without music so that you like it when the music comes back in. And he sort of sent through a rough cut after about three weeks. I thought, what the hell? And it was like, yeah, just pretty bloody perfect. Just do this, change that bit. And he went, yeah, sweet. You know, no big... Oh, I've written that piece especially, you know, like none of that ego. Just and he just, and he just nailed it. He just sort of gets it. Yeah, Greg is the, the, one of the most down-to-earth, you know, uh, sort of musos who's gone out and done his thing. And, um, yeah, he came down and we listened through a few versions of it and tweaked a few things and everything was pretty great. But I think, uh, yeah, by the end of it, he was just like, where can I find this Kumi River Chardonnay in California? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so he was into the story. He just loved it. So I just yeah. went for it. Oh, I went straight out and after watching the screen, I went straight out to the um, to the supermarket and thought, do they have any Kumi? And of course, they had Kumi Village, which... Um, it's actually really delicious wine for the price, but yeah, I've been. And we're getting fifteen percent of all future sales of oh, all great, Kumi yeah. River wine. <laughs> yeah, you should. Which is you should. bloody good. So that should pay us back. So yeah, the the Mate's block. I think I need some. It's there. sold out. The Mate's. I'm sorry. <sighs> oh, uh, I've got to say, I've made uh, the soundtracks to probably about uh, maybe eight films now, and how easy that process sounded with Greg, it kind of actually annoyed me quite a lot. Yeah. So I'm. So <laughs> I mean, it, did take, it took him about three months all up. Yeah, so it was yeah a it's lot. a lot of work. You can you can hear the work. It's 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 uh, great. Yeah, he's amazing though. He just because he hasn't done a lot of soundtracks. You know, he's quite new to it, and uh, he can just play. He played every instrument himself except the violin, which yeah. is probably quite advantageous. Who else have we got? We've got a question there. You were, you were talking about Kimu River. How did you actually select the, the wineries or the characters that featured on the film? Was it, was it to do more with the winery or was it to do more with the character? Uh, well, we had kind of an initial sort of filter of the top players in the New Zealand wine industry, but it was quite... Or, I mean, the Brakovich family who are here somewhere, um, they were probably the first point of call. Um, we had an introduction through a friend of a friend and, um, you know, they said, oh, you should talk to these few people. And then those people said, oh, you should talk to these people. And we actually attended a couple of wine conferences and seeked out who the key people were and had conversations with them. So there was, you know, there was a good six to eight months of just talking to people about who the people should be before we actually made the short list of what should happen. And, and even to a point, uh, we went to the Cooperage in Burgundy that you see in the film. Um, and uh, we were leaving for France, you know, I think in a couple of weeks' time. We had this huge agenda. And Michael Brakovich said, oh, I've talked to our Cooperage. You'll go and see them. I was like, oh, we're pretty busy, but that sounds like a cool idea. And we just we went there, and the guy Max who runs it was just the most amazing guy and funnily enough, um, when we were there, we were seeing all these barrels getting made and uh, they were making some for Dog Point, as you saw. And then next up behind Dog Point was Romani Conti. And um, I said to Max, I was like, do you have a contact at Romani Conti? And he said, yes, yeah, we do a lot of, we've been doing work for them, you know, since, you know, 12 AD or something stupid like that. <laughs> and... Um, I said, could you introduce me to someone there? He said, oh, well, that's not how it works around here, but, um, but here's their phone number. <laughs> and um, we had tried for about 18 months to try and get a phone number or an email or an introduction into Romney Conti to complete that Able Clone story. So, 
So that was just an example of the kind of, you know, the serendipitous journey we went on where producers introduce us to people, to people, to people, and even Paul Pujol, who's here from uh, Prophets Rock. There he is. Paul, um, yeah. Paul. You know, uh, Paul, we knew a little bit about the story, about him and Francois making, you know, this uh, sort of Burgundy-New Zealand collaboration, but Paul took us on the full journey of that. He provided all the footage that you see in the film. So it was really the producers that, you know, recommended other producers or put their hands up to, to be involved. Can I just say Romani Conti, the most mental place you've ever seen. You get there and there's that cross and, you know, just a bit of vineyard and there's just people standing like this. <laughs> and you think yeah, it's like Mecca or something. It's just, <laughs> it's just a dozen people gazing at this place where, when, where a Kiwi nicked a, f a vine, which is good. But it's just like the holy, it's the absolute holy grail of winemaking. And the idea of going into that inner sanctum and taking some shots, they were just sort of laughing at us, but they, all these tourists were at the gates and they opened the sacred gates and took us four through and closed the gates against the, the masses. And, but once we were in there, we wouldn't, couldn't really do anything. We weren't allowed inside or... But it was just, you have entered the hallowed chamber of winemaking in the world, without a doubt. You know you're, you're there. Does it taste good? I've never had it. <laughs> we gave them four bottles of wine. They didn't give one in return. So. Four to one. We gave them good wine, too. That's not fair. More questions? Yep. Um, hi. Great film. You say it was four years in the making, so at what stage did you actually become fully involved into the four years? You know, was it last 12 months or at what We stage? did a year of talking about it. Then we started, some of the interviews were like three years ago with Cam and maybe some of the Kumi River. Then we sat on it and sort of worked on it. Then we went to France and we shot all that and the English stuff and then we came back and we sat on it and then we did a burst through New Zealand and then we sat on it. And then we did another burst through New Zealand and we spent a year, the last year, cutting it. So it's just been an on-off kind of project. Because we wanted to shoot all the footage without the nets on. And so all the nets go on the vines kind of at the end of the season, which is kind of the good time to go and shoot when it looks beautiful and all the amazing drone footage. So we had a pretty tight window over two years where we could go to France and shoot that, even though they don't do nets. But we wanted to get grapes, because you need the good grape fondling shot to make a wine film. Um, you need 138 of those. And uh, so we wanted to pick our time, perfectly coincided with Gigi and Bertie's holiday to France, which we <laughs> commandeered um, and stole their holiday. Uh, and then when we went to go around New Zealand, we had to wait again till we got towards that, um, you know, kind of end of summer season where we knew that we would have grapes on the vine by the time we had left Northland and we went through Auckland, we were getting more different styles of grapes. By the time we got in central Otago, they were making wine. So we had to time it over a couple of years to try and get all those different moments of the winemaking process to sort of litter throughout the film and make it look, um, you know, like we had really done our homework. We've got another question back there. Oh, hi, I'm just curious if... The champagne guys had tasted our champagne. Was that would they have admitted that it was anywhere near their stuff? Good question, Luke. I'll just put 
Virginie on now and she can answer that question. Oh, Virginie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, Didier from Mum, who you saw uh, on film there, um, he had actually been to Marlborough a few times and was, um, you know, off camera. Very, uh, you know, respectful about the method traditionnel or sparkling wines coming from this from this region, and I think the champagne guys like they come across very. It just seems to even your father. Um, it just seems to be like a inbuilt trait in people from Champagne. They're very direct, but what they're saying isn't what they mean. And even when they say, you know, you know, only Champagne comes from Champagne. It actually just means what you should do is go and do something different and make it just as good as, but different, because we want to drink something differently. And even uh, the guy from uh, Perrier Jouet, he was saying that they're actually drinking a lot of uh, sparkling wines from Spain and other areas of Europe to try and get inspiration for what they're doing. So it was quite interesting when you kind of talk to these guys off camera and you've had a few drinks and they kind of open up about what they're really like. It was, um, yeah, I think they very much would respect what we're doing here and, you know, definitely what the LeBruns are doing down in Marlborough has, you know, put us on that on that, that table. I've got one final question from me, which is that when they're tasting the wine and they start slurping, did you add sound effects? Or <laughs> is that really... That sound tough? effect drove my wife mental. Yeah, it's pretty She gross. hates it. Do it now. Yeah, Dave can... Dave can Nowhere near the tombra no. of the French. Dave's really yeah. good. They really it, it took me about two months to learn, and I'm still quite average. But it's annoying as shit, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's real. I, I kind of real. liked it. I sort of wanted to sample it, maybe make some beats out of it. <laughs> sort of a... Um, you know, it was amazing. It was I want Dave to do a proper one now. Listen to this. This is a professional. Okay. This is a, it's aerating the wine. This is the, this is the grand finale. Wonderful. Thank you very much, guys. Congratulations on the film. Wonderful job. Thank you all for listening and coming along. <laughs>